everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 121 of the John Riley Project. Today is Friday, March 20th, 2020. And um, we're broadcasting from Poway, California, the city in the country. Thanks for joining us. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And wow, you know, this, this whole coronavirus thing is just really unfolding. And I want to get into a lot of issues, you know, things that are breaking down here locally in San Diego County, some national issues. But just before we get started with all of this, I just want to say, man, how you doing? How you how you handling this? Um, it's not easy, and um, it's it's tough out there. Been reading a lot, you know, on the news and listening to or watching television, following social media. It's this is an unbelievable time, and you know, I was just talking with my kids, and they were asking me, "Have you ever lived through something like this?" and you know, the for me, you know, and I've commented about this on the uh, podcast previously, the, the Great Recession was really heavy for me as a small business owner. I had to go through some difficult times. Um, this is different. Um, this is something that is unpredictable. And we're dealing with essentially, a, you know, a combatant, this virus. It's just you don't know how to solve the problem. And it's so, so far, so far out of your own hands. And at the same time, you know, there are other things, you know, the 9-11 was a difficult situation. And, you know, we're talking about being sheltered in home. My wife and I, we were stuck outside the country. We couldn't fly back to America for about a week. And that was a whole crazy time as well. We were actually finishing up a vacation in Costa Rica. And um, and the only way we were able to get home was actually flying Aeromexico and working our way through about four or five stops and eventually getting to Tijuana and walking across the border about a week after 9-11-2001. That was a tough time. That was a weird time. Um, going back in history, I remember the beginning of Gulf War One in the 1990s was a little bit weird, a little bit unsettling. And then even as a child, I remembered, you know, the difficult economy in the um, late 70s, very early 80s. Um, you know, there was the gas crises, the Iran hostage. So there's been a lot of really unusual things that have happened over the course of my life. But this coronavirus situation is definitely very different. So I just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. I mean, our family, we're getting through it. Um, you know, we've been uh, doing the shelter in place. In fact, we started that, you know, many days before it started. And frankly, you know, for me as a solopreneur, as a guy that works out of my home, um, this notion of shelter in place is you know pretty consistent with the way I live my life. I don't know if that's good or bad, but um, I spend a great deal of time in my home, um, and and that's good. You know, I'm around family and everything, but so this hasn't been as disruptive for me. Um, but you know, my children are here, and my daughter came down from San Francisco um, right when they enacted the shelter in place in San Francisco. She decided to come back here to San Diego to be with family, and I'm glad she did. So we got the four of us back here in the saddle. Um, that's great. Um, but you know, I don't know how you're feeling about it. I know for me, when this first started to unfold. I was a bit skeptical, not really sure. And you heard some people, you know, really telling us this was extremely serious. And I was in the camp of, well, it's, you know, this is a, a virus, sure, but is it going to be that big of a deal? Well, as I became more educated, as more information came to the fold, I, I totally got it. And then I started to be more on the crisis side of it, um, you know, maybe even to a degree, a little bit of the panic side of it. I was really concerned about this and and I was 
kind of, you know, thinking I had underestimated this in the very beginning. Well, now I have a better grip on it. And I think I was maybe a little overly concerned. And now I've kind of settled into, you know, a, a good rhythm, I guess you could say, following protocol and, and you know, doing the shelter in place and shelter in home. And, you know, um, you know, we're just just trying to, you know, take care of business. Um, and, you know, speaking of business, it's interesting. It's like my wife, you know, she works in the medical industry, so she has a an essential job. I'm a small business owner. I'm a consultant. I do marketing work. Normally, you would not think that's essential, but some of, for some of my clients, they're still doing business. And I have one one of my larger clients is a is definitely in the essential business category. So I've been able to stay busy and stay productive. And, um, you know, continuing to generate an income. And I'm thankful for that. So I don't know how it's affecting you and your job. I know a lot of people have been laid off or being displaced or having their hours minimized. So, I mean, it's it's tough out there. Um, I understand that, you know, like this is where I, I said, you know, this this incident evokes some similar emotions to what I went through um, in the Great Recession, where the economy just kind of went sideways. So it's difficult. And I, I hope you're doing well. Um, I just want to share a number of things. I, you know, I want to just get into um, some of my experiences here in town, here in Poway. I want to reflect on some national topics as well as we go through this, some some Trump things and some um, even some local school things I want to get into in this podcast. I'm going to cover a lot of different ground as we go through it. But I think um, let me let me talk a little bit about what happened last night. You know, I, I went shopping last night and wow, was that an adventure? So, you know, when when all of this broke out, you know, in the very beginning and there was the mass rush and, you know, the toilet paper frenzy and giant lines. You know, we in our home, we were reasonably well stocked. I think we had gone shopping like within the week prior um, to the hysteria building. So we didn't have this huge urgency to go out and buy everything. We weren't interested in hoarding things. So I was just kind of keeping it cool. Well, it got to the point where, you know, this crisis started escalating. And I said to myself, you know, if this got more serious, um, I, especially with this shelter and home, that it, again, this was last night, it had been rumored Gavin Newsom hadn't yet made the announcement. I figured, you know what, I better go to the store and just stock up on some basic things just to make sure we're covered. And so what I did is, um, you know, I went to, I decided I want to try something different. And earlier, well, first of all, earlier in the day, I was down at the Target Shopping Center here in Poway. And I go check my mail there for my business at the Postal Annex. And that parking lot normally is 70 to 80% full all the time. Um, it's a very busy uh, place. But I got there in the middle of the day on Thursday, and that parking lot was maybe only 33% full, which was amazing. Um, and then I poked my nose inside the Target, and it was just remarkably quiet. So it was kind of an eerie vibe, a weird energy that day on Thursday. Well, then last night, Thursday night, I went to the store and I wanted to try something different. And I decided, you know, let's just go to the Vons and Rancho Bernardo. Let's check out what they've got going on. Well, I walked in there and I'm telling you, roughly 33% of the shelves were empty. Um, you know, there were certain aisles where they were just cleaned out. I mean, of course, Toilet paper and paper towels, gone. Um, you go into the pasta aisle, it's basically gone. Um, if you go into the canned vegetables, basically gone. You go into the canned soup, 
98% gone. Um, you go into the meat section, like 50% gone. So it was kind of a, a trippy deal. And there weren't very many people in the grocery store because obviously the, the masses either showed up much earlier, maybe numerous days earlier, and then everyone else kind of getting the message that, you know, things were, were pretty crazy. So I'm in the store, I'm walking around and just the other people in the store kind of had, you know, these big bright eyes, like a, like a sense of, I don't know if the right word is panic, but maybe awe or maybe like, oh my God, what are we going to do for food? Um, and so I just went through the aisles. I got, you know, a, a, some frozen goods. I figured we want to put a few things in our freezer just in case. Um, and just just trying to plan for this. But it was something. And I knew when I did this, I was going to have to go to multiple stores. And so after I went to the Vons and Rancho Bernardo, I went to the Albertsons really close to my house at the corner of Rancho Bernardo Road and Pomerado Road. And I went in there and it was the same basic deal, you know, as far as the aisles and things cleared out and the kind of the funky energy in the store. But I'll tell you what, there was no shortage of potato chips, um, no shortage of pretzels. I mean, the the people from Frito-Lay have been fully stocking the store, but it makes you wonder, like, what's going on with the supply chain? What's really happening? And there's all kinds of theories. Like, um, you know, some people are thinking that, you know, maybe the they're being manipulated. Maybe the stores and the distribution partners are, are throttling um, inventory to try to create panic, try to create over demand. I don't know if that's true. I know some people think that. Um, there's other people, you know, th that are saying, you know, and I read this in an article. I, th I think I'll take this one as most likely true, is that we're still producing food. In fact, United States produces more food than we ever have. I mean, this is a society of abundance. This is a society where you go normally go to the store and you want to buy. I don't know, like soda, you have 30 different choices. You you want to buy beer, you have unlimited choices. You want to buy toothpaste, there's unlimited choices um, of all different flavors and types and different different features. For it to suddenly dry up so fast, so quick was just really unusual. So I, I'm of the belief that we're still producing this stuff. It's just that some people are choosing to hoard. Some people are buying and, and keeping it. And it's getting to the point now where people are starting to trying to return the goods. And it's funny. It's like when I was in the store, I saw signs that said, you know, all sales final, no return of goods. And apparently that's been a deal at Costco where people have been buying so much. They're finally realizing, oh, my God, I bought too much. I really need to return it. And they're not taking it back. So I think what we're experiencing definitely is demand peaking as we get through this. And apparently in China, they went through the same deal. In the very beginning, there was panic. In the very beginning, there was over demand. There was hoarding and inventory in the stores went down. And then the manufacturers and the distribution partners, you know, they turned up the throttle and they started producing more. And what ended up happening is, is that suddenly they had too much. You know, they, they were delivering these products to the stores and there was too much product. So I think we're going to see kind of a boomerang effect to this um, in some short order of time. You know, that we're going to start to see no problem with getting things like toilet paper. Just interesting to see how this all evolves. It's just fascinating. Um, I told you in the last podcast that uh, I started an emergency kit. And this was a project I had started a long time ago and 
only got about 20% into it, never really got it finished. Well, I've been making great progress on it. And so every day I'm getting a couple of things coming in from Amazon. And and this emergency kit is um, really just something to build up peace of mind. And, and really my shopping experience last night was almost the same thing. I just wanted to get a little bit more stuff just so I have a peace of mind because the future just seems very unpredictable. Um, so um, I'm building this emergency kit in my garage and like I, I have like a, a big bag of dog food and I've got some extra canned vegetables, nothing outrageous, nothing hoarding, but, you know, maybe something that can hold us over for a week or two, um, just kind of a, like almost like a secondary pantry of things. And so I've been slowly building that up as well, but um, dealing with Amazon with that, I've been having it all shipped and delivered. And now Amazon Fresh apparently has suspended delivery or suspended orders. I know I tried to order more last night and I couldn't, uh, but I got some more deliveries today. So apparently, you know, they're being just getting slammed and they're desperate for workers and they're trying to fulfill all those orders. And so it's just almost like the supply and demand situation has gotten really out of whack because of the crisis, um, because of, you know, the, the, I should probably make this a separate topic for a podcast, but, you know, because of the the inability of um, retailers to adjust their price and demand, um, that goes to price gouging. And that's a whole other topic, which I, I will cover in a future podcast. Um, but all of these different things, I think, have created numerous distortions in the market and why we're having this huge run on a lot of product and why a lot of store shelves are empty. Um, but it's just was fascinating. And so... I was really pleased that I was out and about in the stores yesterday because I wanted to get a greater sense for what all these other people have been going through because we've been seeing so much of it discussed on Facebook and on Twitter. And um, yeah, it was crazy. It was it, it had a vibe a little bit like a dystopian sci-fi movie, you know, where, like I said, the the expression on people's faces, the unusual energy, the, you know, the fact that certain sections of the store were just bare shelves. It was just remarkable. Um, but, you know, now we're now, I think, settling into what the reality is. We're understanding that this is a serious situation. We're understanding, I mean, we got the, the edict from uh, Gavin Newsom, governor of California, that we have a shelter in place, which means we need to stay home. And so really, I, I would just encourage you, I mean, once you kind of get over the startleness of what this is all about, we need to just remain calm. We need to really focus on being rational as we go through this. And I know that's hard. I, I know for me that's hard too because, you know, we're humans. We're like these little prickly emotional creatures. And, and it's easy for us to feel anxiety, to feel depression, to feel anger, sadness, worry. Um, we're, we're these, you know, f- these fuzzy little, like almost like little puppies, like these emotional Creatures, it's hard for us to keep our cool, but we've got to do that. We've got to stay calm. We've got to stay rational as we go through it. Um, you know, I was talking with my wife about this last night, and you know, and she's been very calm through this whole process, and I give her great credit. And she's saying, you know, this will pass. Uh, we're going to get through it, and she's right. I mean, I think about in my life whenever I've gone through difficult situations. You know what? Things always improve. They always do. That's It's going to improve here as well. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But we just need to be calm, be rational. We're going to get through this. 
focus on controlling what you can control. So for me, that was going shopping. And I knew it was going to be a, a crazy situation. I knew I would have to go to multiple stores. I was okay. I was controlling what I could control. Um, building my emergency kit, controlling what I can control. Focusing on the work that I do for my clients, controlling what I can control. And then doing these podcasts with you and sharing my thoughts. Um, again, controlling what I can control. And I think that's the right way to go through this process. And if we just focus on that, we're going to stay present. We'll be in the moment. And I think that will be really helpful for us as we go through this. Um, But um, yeah, you know, the stores are going to be restocked. The scientists are going to science. It reminds me of, remember Matt Damon? Did you ever see the movie The Martian? And, you know, he was in there and, you know, he was stuck on Mars and he had to figure out a way to get back to Earth. And he said, you know, we're going to science the shit out of this. And I'm, I'm reasonably confident that um, our, our scientific minds um, are, are brightest and best in, in, in America or even in the world are working on a way to move out of this. They're going to be working on vaccines. They're going to be working on treatment. They're going to be working on testing kits. And granted, there's complications and, you know, the government sometimes getting in the way and preventing a lot of this from coming forward. I realize this will that will eventually solve itself as well. But I know that I can't control it. I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to solve that problem. I'm going to have to depend on other people to solve it. So we'll see how that goes. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going to stay at home too. You know, like I said, I'm following protocol. But for me, it's not that big of a deal. Maybe for you, it's a huge deal. For some people, this is the first time they've ever worked from home. And so it's a really big adjustment. Um, it takes a certain amount of personal discipline when you're working from home to stay focused and stay productive because it's easy to drift off and, you know, get sucked into another episode of Ellen or, you know, make yourself multiple lunches or whatever it is. You know, it's easy to get distracted. Um, so I think a lot of people are going through this idea of working from home. But there's a lot of people that are going to be really affected by this. I mean, um, unemployment, loss of income, you know, it's going to be hard to stay calm and it's going to be hard to stay rational. So, you know, there's all kinds of um, programs that are being discussed. I know the federal government's talking about um, – you know, giving out checks to everyone, not unlike Andrew Yang's universal basic income. I, there's been talk, and I think this just happened earlier today, where they're suspending student debt payments. There's been talk of suspending rent payments or mortgage payments. There's been talk of, um, and I think they've already done this, extending the um, the income tax filing. I believe that's happened. Don't quote me on that. Um, and I know that there's been all there's been a flurry of conversation about things that they're going to do for individuals to help solve it. And some of these proposals, I think, are good. Some are not good at all. And I'm going to say that also for another podcast because I'm going to I want to break down a lot of those proposals and they're changing, you know, almost by the hour. So I don't want to get too hung up on it now, but I do want to get through a number of issues. Um, but in the but I do want to talk about this and as far as this notion of staying calm, staying rational, I want to give a big shout out. Uh, this is a governor um, that I think has been remarkable and it's Andrew Cuomo and he's the governor of the state of New York. And if you haven't seen some of his press re- uh, press conferences, they're fantastic. And they're like the opposite of what 
President Trump is doing. I mean, Trump is up there with his bravado and his ego and and he's got, you know, 12 people behind him not practicing social distancing. Um, Cuomo is up there sitting down calmly, talking straight into the camera calmly like I'm trying to do with you here in this podcast. Um, but he, he just has a really a, a sense of calming the masses, being analytical, rational, letting the data drive his decisions. Um, I just thought what he was doing was fantastic as a leader. Now, we can question some of the policies, but the vibe that he delivers as a leader was perfect. I was very impressed by him. And one of the things that he said what was really good was, if you are inconvenienced by any of these things, then blame me. And I mean, just think about that in terms of a, a political leader standing up and saying, I'm accountable. I'm responsible. If you don't like it, blame me. Don't blame all these other people. Blame me. That's the exact opposite of what President Trump is doing. President Trump was was saying, I'm not responsible. President Trump is blaming other people. I mean, heck, he's calling the virus the China virus, um, which is ridiculous. I mean, that's um, that's an intentional way to deflect, an intentional way to avoid responsibility and blame someone else. And um, I thought what Cuomo was doing was great. So um, what can we do now? And I spoke a little bit about this in the last podcast as far as, um, you know, this is a great time to seek opportunity. And I, I believe it is. I mean, I think there's huge opportunities that come from this. And I want to take it back to Game of Thrones. And you remember um, uh, Peter Baelish, you know, the uh, little finger, he had a great quote. And I, I think this is a really good quote. And it's kind of along the lines of Rahm Emanuel. Um, Peter Baelish said, chaos is a ladder. What a great line that is, because when there is chaos, there's an opportunity to advance yourself. Now, you can spin that in a positive way or in a negative way. I mean, the negative way is obvious, where people are, you know, filling their garage with hand sanitizer and trying to sell it and, you know, kind of taking advantage of the situation. And it's sort of a win-lose sort of transaction. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how can this crisis, this essentially this downtime when the economy is is kind of going sideways and slowing down a bit, does that create opportunity? And, and I think it definitely does. I mean, so we're now in this shelter in place situation. We're many of us stuck at home. You know, we can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. This is a great time to hit the reset button in whatever it is you're doing in life. Now, granted, maybe your life is on the perfect track and you're in a great spot and you're moving forward. And if that's the case, you know, tip of the hat to you. But if you're ever in that situation where you're questioning what you were doing, maybe thinking you needed to change course, maybe you wanted to change careers, maybe you wanted to shift gears, this is the time to do it. This is the time to hit the reset button. Maybe you own a small business. Maybe as part of that, you want to rebrand the business, reposition your company to focus on a new market with a new message. Maybe you want to introduce a whole new set of products and services. This is the time to do it because the demand in the marketplace has shifted. There are people that have great needs for certain products and services, and then other products and services are 
maybe not as necessary, not as in great demand. So this is a great time to pivot, to make a switch in the way you do, you um, move your business. But it could also be a great time to start a business, to start an online business. It's never been easier, you know. So rather than being, you know, sort of working for the man, rather than being a pawn in someone else's game, rather than working in corporate America, why not work for yourself? Now is a great time to create your own business, build a website, put yourself out there, market your services, create an e-commerce business and sell product, whether you're selling it through your own site or selling it through Amazon or other channel partners. Now is a great time to do that. Now is a great time to be an entrepreneur. When we're experiencing this downtime, it's almost like, you know, the world sort of slows down. Sometimes we're in a rat race, right? We're chasing things. We're, we're pursuing, um, you know, our career and always trying to make sure we've got an income stream coming in where if we own a business, we're always hunting for that new customer. If we are working for another company, we're trying to maintain that income, maybe build additional income. But if things start to slow down, if things start to go sideways, Rather than gripping and hanging on to something that may continue to slide downhill, why not let go and start something new? Why not make an adjustment and change the direction of your business to focus on different opportunities with different products and services? Again, I think this shelter in place is a great opportunity. This chaos can be a ladder. Um, so... Uh, wow, what else? Uh, you can you can maybe even, you know, if you're at home all this time, you could even restart projects. I told you how I restarted my emergency kit. So I've been hearing stories about people there at home. They have all this time on their hands and they, you know, heck, we reorganized our pantry, <laughs> you know? So there are all kinds of things that you can do around the house, projects that you've been putting off. You can get those done, you know, because our rhythm has been disrupted. Our, our rhythm has been broken, and now it gives us a little bit of freedom to try new things or to finish things that we never finished before. And it's a great time to learn new skills. Like I said, if you want to start a new business and you can do it online on the Internet, there's never been a better opportunity. There is an avalanche of of um, skills that you can learn online, whether it's as simple as doing research taking classes, and there's some great classes out there. There's ways that you can learn new things, learn new skills, and break out from the trap that you've been in before. Break out into new worlds, new opportunities, and really better yourself. So chaos is an opportunity. Um, I think Peter Baelish had it right. Now, granted, his motivation might have been a little bit um, underhanded. I'm not suggesting that at all. Uh Uh-oh. I just took a sip of coffee and it spilt all over my table. All right. So um, what else? Um, Yeah. You know, I said before, you know, like hustle while you wait, you know, that's a little bit of this. I mean, while the world is kind of going through its own situation, while everything's trying to settle in, while we're trying to get a new rhythm in the world around us, this is the time to hustle. And it's easy to get paralyzed by what's on television and on social media and everything else. And sometimes I get paralyzed by it a little bit myself. But if we can step out of that, if we can take advantage of opportunities to get out and think and strategize and innovate and say to yourselves, 
what new opportunities does this new world present for us? I think could be tremendous. Um, you know, it, it has me thinking a lot about what I'm doing in this podcast. Now, obviously, with this shelter and home situation, I can't have guests anymore. Not until that's been lifted. So what am I going to do? So I'm thinking maybe I need to innovate a little bit more on this podcast. Maybe I need to open up Skype and you know kind of integrate Skype into the podcast. Or maybe I need to use Zoom meetings or Google Hangouts. I'm not sure. I've got to figure that out to see if I can have guests remotely joining on the podcast. Or maybe even setting it up where we'll do the podcast live and be able to interact with the audience as we're doing it. Um, taking uh, questions from the audience and rolling with it that way. These are things I'm thinking about. And if you have some thoughts and ideas on how I can improve this podcast, let me know, because this is a great time for me to think about how I can take this up to the next level, how I can innovate on my own space. Um, I'm also thinking quite a bit about um, maybe doing these podcasts a little more frequently, especially as we're going through this crisis, you know, just trying to present sort of a pulse on what's happening in the in our neighborhoods and communities around us. I think sharing what my experiences are, maybe you're feeling similar experiences, maybe you're going through a different time. I think this allows us to connect, allows us to relate. So I'm thinking maybe this this chaos is opening the door for maybe to do these podcasts even more frequently. Um, I'm also thinking about maybe I need to open up my own e-commerce opportunity. And I've been pursuing that, but maybe there's a lot more that I can do. And maybe there's other things I could be doing with this podcast. I'm, one of the things that's been on my list is creating a training course on how to do a podcast. Um, so maybe that's something I've got to get going. So as I'm going through this process, I'm thinking, what are the things that I can do to improve my situation, to take this project of mine and take it to the next level? And I hope that you're doing the same thing. So as we go through this, um, yeah, I would just encourage you, think about staying productive, think about being innovative, thinking about how this chaotic situation can present unique opportunities for you to identify and to essentially capitalize on, whether it's helping out your employer. Maybe there, you know, I know for some of my clients, this this situation with COVID-19 has created all kinds of disruption in the way they do business. And the companies are scrambling to make sure customers know that they're still in business, to make sure that the employees know they still need to report for work and, and making sure that they have products and services that are available that are appropriate for the situation customers are going through. This creates this sort of disruption, even within a corporate um, situation, even within a, a medium or regional sized business, creates great opportunity for employees to step up and to take greater responsibility and to showcase their value to their employer so that they become the ones that if this goes even further sideways, they become the more valuable employee and the least likely to be let go if it turns into that. So um, yeah, don't be paralyzed, seek opportunity. This is the best time in the world to do it. Um, and change course is necessary, and don't be afraid to do that. So, yeah, chaos is a ladder. Uh, Peter Baelish, um, that's, that's quite a bit different than um, Rahm Emanuel. What did he say? Um, never let a, a crisis go to waste. I guess that's the more cynical side of it, but it's essentially the same idea. 
where there is disruption, there is opportunity. Um, and I think we need to be thinking in those terms to better ourselves um, and to better our situation. Um, okay, I want to get into some news stories about Trump and, and a lot of other folks. But before I do, I just want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, PowayStore.com. Uh, PowayStore.com has all kinds of really cool Poway products, T-shirts, sweatshirts, uh, coffee mugs, stickers, um, all celebrating Poway, the city in the country. And this, this uh, coffee mug I'm drinking from is uh, one of those products. Of course, I spilled it all over my podcast table here. But um, at any rate, uh, yeah, go check out our friends at PowayStore.com. All kinds of great stuff out there um, for those of you that live and love the city and the country. Um, Okay, President Trump, you know, it's like it's amazing because for the longest time he had not done any press conferences. And then he had been doing a few lately. And then suddenly with the whole coronavirus situation, he's up there every day. And it's remarkable to watch how this whole thing unfolds. And, you know, he's got scientists that are up there and doctors and they're talking through things. And by the way, there's always one woman behind him at the podium. She has like really dark hair and she just never says a word. And I think someone was telling me she's in charge of the Medicare and Medicaid programs, uh, but I've never seen her speak. But it's usually, yeah, like 10 or 12 people, total violation of the of the um uh, social distancing six foot rule. Um, it's frankly a, a total violation of the more than 10 people in a place rule as well. But anyways, um, there was an interesting tiff today uh, that President Trump had with um, Peter Alexander. And he's a reporter. Is he for, I think he put, he's, works for NBC, if I recall, maybe ABC. I'm not sure, but he's a, you've seen him on TV a ton of times and they're in the, um, do they call it the press room, you know, where they always do the uh, the press briefings? And Peter Alexander said to President Trump, so what do you say uh, to Americans who are scared? Nearly 200 dead and 14,000 who are sick and millions, as you witness, who are scared right now. What do you say to Americans who are watching you right now who are scared? And. Yeah, I thought that was a great question. And I was very interested to see what President Trump was going to respond. And you wouldn't believe the response. And it's making the the, the rounds right now. If you, um, It's been showcased on the news and on social media. You can't miss it. I invite you to go look at it. And President Trump responded, I say that you are a terrible reporter. This is what he was saying to Peter Alexander. Because that's what I say. Um, the president proceeded to launch into an extended rant against Alexander, saying that that was a nasty question and assailing NBC and its parent company, Comcast. OK, it's NBC, not ABC, but assailing his parent company, Comcast. He says, you're doing sensationalism, Trump said, and the same with NBC and Comcast. I don't call it Comcast. I call it Concast. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. So first of all, like. This is coming from President Trump, who is widely considered a con man, and he's calling out Comcast as Concast, like C-O-N. I'm like, my God, I mean, this is unbelievable. Um, and then he, he went on to say, Trump goes on to say, let me tell you something. That's really bad reporting, and you ought to get back to reporting instead of sensationalism. I'm thinking Trump 
He is the king of sensationalism. He's the one that's saying, lock her up, and Mexico is going to pay for it. He was the one that was pursuing the whole, you know, President Obama wasn't born in the United States. I mean, he is, his whole career has been about sensationalism. The guy was freaking in the World Wrestling Federation, um, you know, he, participating in that um, shenanigan. I mean, that's that whole thing is the ultimate of sensationalism. So unbelievable to see it. And I'm just thinking, why? I mean, if you're asked a question like that, if you're asking a question, you know, the people are scared, you know, what do you think about that? That's an opportunity for a president to respond and and to essentially calm the fears of the American people. You know, I talked earlier about being calm and rational as we go through this. And this is what Andrew Cuomo has been doing so well, is just getting a grip on it, turning down the volume, and just calming those, uh, smoothing those rough edges. He could have done that. But instead, what does he do? He turns around and attacks the reporter and creates more conflict uh, at a time when we don't need more conflict. You know, this was there, he was asked earlier in one of those press briefings, maybe about three days ago. And someone one of the reporters asked him, you know, on a scale of one to ten, how do you think you're doing on this? And again, that was another sort of a softball question that was thrown to him that he could have taken and really pivoted and done some nice things with it. But instead, you know, President Trump's ego gets involved. He goes, I'm doing it. It's a 10. We have a great response to this. And he's going on and on about it. It's another opportunity to to calm the fears and to show leadership rather than having to always defend yourself and defend your ego. Um, so I just thought, wow, what a missed opportunity when, when Peter Alexander said the American people are scared. And people are scared. They're, they're, they're worried about their life. They're worried about their health. They're worried about their career. They're worried about having enough money to pay their bills. People are scared. I mean, I've gone through moments here where I've had you know cases of anxiety as we're going through this. I imagine most everyone has to some degree. And to deny that and to deflect from that and then to wait, wag his finger at the reporter was just remarkable. It almost, it almost makes me wonder if it was almost calculated because that's one of the tricks in Trump's book, in, in, in his book. You know, he can always reach back and pull out the attack the press card because he knows every time he does that, it kind of fires up his base. And let's be real. I mean, this, this coronavirus situation is and and the federal government's response to it is not good for President Trump and his re-election campaign that's going to be happening in November. He's got to be concerned. And I know that there's a lot of Democrats that like see this as a great opportunity and finally we're going to be able to take down Trump. But from Trump's perspective, he needs to demonstrate strong leadership. But he knows if it, that if he just loses a little bit of his base – He's going to lose the election because he, those four swing states, what were they, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, all four of those, he won very, very narrowly. So if he just lost a little bit of that edge in those states, that would flip the whole election and he would lose. So I sometimes I wondered if that attack on Peter Alexander was calculated to go after the press, to fire up his base and get them to get his base to defend him. And I've already seen some of that online, which is just remarkable. Um, and so 
you look at you look at our leadership as we're going through this, and even Gavin Newsom, um, you know, he he made a, a big move last night. I mean, he was saying that if we don't address this challenge, fifty six percent of the state of California is going to have this virus. You're thinking, holy crap, that's a lot. And if you start doing the math, you know, of the if if, if we have forty million people in the state, fifty six percent of them is what, like over twenty million, and what percentage of them actually show symptoms, and then what percentage of that actually goes to the hospital or goes into the ICU, and what percentage of them die? Well, even at the very end of that 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 equation. Those are still talking about huge numbers of people that are going to die, that are going to be in ICUs, that are going to struggle, and it's going to overwhelm the healthcare system. And I believe that to be completely true. I don't like what happened with um, with this shelter in place ordinance that has been given now to the state of California, but I understand it. I, I think I get it from a scientific perspective based on my limited knowledge of it. Um, but uh, and I think it's like I said earlier. I think it's a great time for us to regroup, re-strategize, shift gears, change course if necessary. We can take advantage of this downtime. But I understand it. And I think what Gavin Newsom has did to shut down part of the state probably makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, this back to, you know, are we underreacting? Are we overreacting? And we, we don't really know. And it just, things change from day to day. But I see leaders like Cuomo, um, and, and even Newsom to a degree, making decisions based on data, making what they believe are rational choices. Um, and I see Trump, you know, attacking reporters and stroking his own ego as he goes through this. And in many times contradicting what the scientists up on the stage are saying. And those scientists have to walk back things that President Trump says, which is unbelievable. Um Okay, I want to get in a couple more topics. I want to talk about the corporate bailouts, and I want to talk about what's happening here in our school district and what's happening with education and the disruption with families there. So let's talk a little bit about the corporate bailouts. Now, again, I said there's all kinds of personal bailouts that are being discussed. You know, individual um, checks being given to people. We've heard, you know, people saying they're going to get a twelve hundred dollar check or two thousand dollar check. You, you know, they're, they're all these proposals are being bounced around. Um, but I don't want to focus on the individual level. I want to focus on the corporate level. And here we're seeing, you know, the airlines want fifty billion dollars. You know, either in just direct cash payments or I don't know if it's tax breaks or if it's loans or whatever, but a a significant part of it is just cash because the airlines are getting killed. Um, When my daughter came back down to San Diego um, earlier this week, she was on a flight that had maybe 12 people on it. So think about what these airlines are going through. All the people are canceling their flights. People aren't traveling, um, you know, largely because they don't want to be in an airplane where the air is recirculated. You know, they could potentially catch the virus. Um, I was happy my daughter was able to come home and be with us as we go through this. But these airlines are getting killed. And and then we're even seeing at the at the manufacturing level, Boeing, you know, they're going through their crises and and they're demanding money. And it, it's it's just nuts. And then other corporations are lining up. We're hearing about it in the hotel industry. I mean, heck, Vegas just shut down. I've heard that the gambling industry wants money from the government. You know, like they all get in line. And you're thinking this is just ridiculous. 
ridiculous why these corporations are demanding these bailouts. And it makes you understand why people get angry about it. Um, you know, this whole notion of profits are privatized, but then when they go through losses, they want them socialized. And when they go through losses, they want taxpayers like you and me to cover their butts. Now, when we go through a difficult time, especially if you're a small business owner, do they cover your butt? No, they don't. No, they don't at all. Um, I know like when I went through uh, the Great Recession, my small business went through a difficult, difficult time. But we came through it. We came through it better and stronger as a result. But it was not easy. No one was out there giving us deals or giving us breaks or giving us money. Um, but these big corporations demand it. And it's ridiculous. It's cronyism. This is what cronyism and people it's funny people call it capitalism and people are saying this is late stage capitalism and capitalism is corrupt and it's almost like the definitions of these terms have been completely distorted first of all capitalism is private ownership private ownership of companies private profiting okay so it in capitalism, there is no dependency on government subsidies. There is no bailouts because capitalism is based on private companies, not public, not public funding. In addition, capitalism, by most every definition, is based on free trade, volunteer trade, not coercion. Um, and so what we're seeing here is instead is a lot of what we have in America, especially at the at the like the Wall Street level, at the corporate level, isn't so much capitalism is it's called it's cronyism. And some people call it crony capitalism, but that's almost like jumbo shrimp. It's almost like an oxymoron because cronyism is the notion of corporate powers and their lobbyists going in to the halls of Washington, D.C. and buying influence and paying politicians. And then the politicians and the, the government regulators transform laws, transform regulations to rig markets, rig systems, make it harder for competitors to compete, to give them no bid contracts, you know, to get these kinds of bailouts um, to, you know, rig systems. I mean, why do you think Medicare Part D, you know, the prescription drug plan in Medicare doesn't allow renegotiation of the price of medication? That's because of cronyism. That's because Big Pharma has bought influence amongst the government legislatures to rig the system so it can't be renegotiated. That's why you can't import medicine from foreign countries. Medicine made by the very same manufacturers that make it here in America. Medicine that's safe, that saves lives, that's dramatically less expensive, can't be imported into America because of cronyism, because the corporate powers, in order to protect their profit margins, have gone out, made uh, bought politicians that have enacted laws or enacted regulations that make it harder for their competition to compete, in some cases making competition illegal. Um, so this whole notion of these corporate powers lining up for bailouts, for corporate welfare, that's cronyism. That's not capitalism. That's cronyism. And it's no wonder people are upset. I mean, it's this – it's a rigged system. And when you see this happening right before your eyes, you think it's nuts. And then people are saying, oh, it's because the airlines bought back all their stock. So let's break that down for a minute. You know, people are shaming stock buybacks. 
And there's a good news and a bad news to this. So let me first comment on the good news. It used to be that, um, you know, let's say, you know, as we were coming out of the Great Recession and companies were starting to make money, but the demand was kind of low, corporations were taking their profits and just putting it in the bank. And it was sitting. And people were angry. They were saying, you need to reinvest that money back into your, into your company. You need to essentially tr- trickle down. You need to spread that money down. You need to cir- cir- circulate it through the economy. Well, now what these companies are doing, like, like a lot of these airlines, what they were doing was they were going out into the marketplace to buy stock, buy their own stock. And when they did that, um, what they were doing is raising the price of their stock and increasing their equity position in doing so. But before we break that down, I just want to share that one of the things that's interesting is when they buy back their stock, their cash goes to the seller of the stock and the cash circulates to the economy. That's good. That's the good part of it. The bad part of it is, is that when they bought that stock, they had now reduced the amount of stock that was available in the market and the demand for that stock remained the same. So what happens to the price of that stock? It goes up. So when they're buying their stock, they're, they're essentially distorting the market increasing the price or the value of that stock, which increases their equity position. And in many ways, what they're doing is they're betting on themselves. They're making a bet that down the road, their stock is going to become even more valuable and then they can cash out when they choose. But they're still making a bet. And the downside of this is, is they're making a bet that they know they won't lose because if the whole thing went south and if the whole market collapsed, then when they have huge losses, what do they do? They get in line and wait for a bailout. That's the problem. That's the problem is when they're demanding cash from taxpayers like you and me, people that work hard for the money they earn, they want their losses socialized. That's the problem. So what these companies need to be doing is when they have cash and they want to bet on themselves, what they need to be doing is investing it into their research and development. They need to be building um, and cr- innovating, creating new products, new services to transform their company to higher and higher levels, to offer better and better service, better and better um, solutions for their customers. That's what they should be doing. But instead, because the system is so infected with cronyism, what they're doing is they are essentially getting into a game where they have the upside that they'll enjoy if if their stock continues to go up. And if the stock takes a dump, then they get in line to get the handout from the government. And I I just think that's just awful. And so I think these kinds of corporate bailouts should be flat out refused. They should just say, no, no way, Jose. Um, And I mean, we, we should have learned this from 2008. Remember the banks got bailed out. And then what ended up happening? Well, the banks became, you know, wealthier. They, they were able to turn more profits. And in doing so, they were, they were able through, you know, additional regulation, they were able to suppress a lot of the community banks by through cronyism, by getting government to do the dirty work for them and pass these regulations that made it onerous on mid-sized banks. And now the banks are enjoying tremendous profit, even when they are committing fraud, like when Wells Fargo is filing, um, you know, creating all of these uh, fake accounts and the other things that the banks have been involved with. So did we learn anything from 2008? What about the automobile companies? Those companies were bailed out. 
Um, and then what did they end up doing? Well, geez, I mean, they, they went and they started producing a lot of these gas guzzlers, which a lot of the people didn't want in the first place, or at least a lot of, a lot of the government officials didn't want. Um, so it's interesting, you know, we, the people get twisted on this. They say, if you don't bail them out, what, all these people are going to be out of work and it's going to be chaos. But still, that's no reason to bail them out. If these airlines went out of business, if United Airlines or American Airlines went out of business, what would happen is, is that some other airline would buy their assets and then would begin running those lines to service the customers because the demand for um, air will be just as good. I mean, granted, we got to get through this rough patch with coronavirus, but the demand for air travel will be there when the economy recovers. When we, if we let these companies go under, then a new company is going to buy their assets and take it over and offer those services. The same thing is true with the cruise ships. If, you know, was a Royal Norwegian or princess celebrity cruises, if they went out of business, it's not like the ship is like they sink it in the middle of the ocean. The ship still exists. So they can still restart that. Just give it a new company name and get going. Um, So yeah, these, um, these corporate bailouts are, um, are, are a huge problem and they, they need to be, they need to be denied. But the problem is, is because of the cronyism, because these companies pay off these politicians, the politicians are going to bail them out. You know it's going to happen. And, and then, you know, then there'll be all kinds of excuses or, or under promises of bailouts for people, which, again, I'm going to save that part of it for a separate conversation, a separate podcast. But um, I, I just am very, very discouraged by this. Um, it seems to be a cycle. They take excessive risks. They exhibit more risky behavior and they get rewarded for it because if it if it if they hit the jackpot and it does well, then they enjoy the profit. And if the whole thing goes south, well, then they just put the tag or the tab on the on the taxpayer. And that's just immoral and wrong. So um, but, you know, it's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen. I mean, some people say it's because we are ruled in an oligarchy. And this is hard to argue with when you see this kind of a system. Okay, so. Last big topic I want to talk about is education. And this, we're going to talk a little bit about Poway Unified School District. Um, I've commented on our local school district numerous times. This is a, you know, a a very good school district, a district that uh, on an academic basis has always had a very strong reputation. We're up here in the um, North County inland area of San Diego County. Um, So Poway Unified serves um, the city of Poway and the San Diego communities of Rancho Bernardo, Rancho Penasquitos, Saber Springs, Westwood, Forest Ranch, Del Sur. So, you know, good school district has a great reputation. It's a lot of people move here because of the schools. Financially, this school district has had a, a, a terrible run of, of of errors and mistakes, including the billion dollar bond. Um, but for the most part, a very well run school district academically. Um, And now with this COVID-19, this coronavirus, everything has kind of gone wacko, just like it has with companies and with families. It's this huge game changer, completely disrupted the rhythm. And now everyone's trying to react and adapt to it. And so now what they've done is they've sent all the students home, just like they've done in school districts, not just in California, but around the country. 
and they want to transition students to online learning. And it sounds great. And I'm a big advocate of online learning. We've talked about it numerous times in this podcast because it empowers more students and and more technology and with, students can learn in more interesting and innovative ways. And, and it can be done less expensively where we can have more students in front of the best teachers. There's a ton of upside for online learning and a great supplemental, a supplement to you know classroom learning as well. But Poway Unified has been struggling to roll out their curriculum and parents are concerned and students are not as productive during this downtime and Poway Unified struggling to get things organized. Meanwhile, there is a charter school and um, here in San Diego County called Innovations Academy. And one of our previous guests, Gabby Dow, was was talking about this on social media. She has two children, um, one of which goes to Rancho Bernardo High School, which is in the Poway Unified School District, and another one, I th- son, I think, is in in uh, middle school that's going to Innovations Academy in Scripps Ranch. Innovations Academy, they're already spun up. They've already got a great online learning curriculum. They've got classwork and uh, online. They're in- interacting and engaging with their teachers online. Um, and in some ways, uh, some of our high school students at Poway Unified, they haven't gotten this yet. And it's just, it's interesting because normally the line from the establishment within the education industry, uh, those that are defenders of, of government schools, public education, they're usually the first ones in line to criticize charter schools, saying that charter schools are unaccountable and they do terrible service and, and you know, constantly slamming them, largely because they're a threat to the status quo. They're a threat to the educational establishment. But here we have a charter school that's way ahead of the public schools and not just way ahead of any public school district, but way ahead of one of the best public school districts in San Diego County, one of the better ones in the state of California. We've got a middle school, a charter school, Innovations Academy, that has a fantastic online education model already spun up, and it's fantastic. Um, And it's interesting, too, because you see other stories, and our teachers at Poway Unified and, you know, bless their hearts, they're trying, they're hustling. And I'm not blaming the teachers. Some of them are trying hard. Some of these teachers have tried to, you know, get on board with a lot of, um, you know, online meeting technology. I don't know whether it's Zoom or Google Hangouts where they can have a lecture and then they can engage with students all online. Something we use in corporate America all the time for remote meetings. Some of these teachers are trying to do that and they're being told by the school district they shouldn't do that. They're being, they're being essentially, they're creating roadblocks that get in their way so that they can't teach. And you're thinking, why is that? Why are they preventing teachers from being innovative? Um, Meanwhile, a school called Innovations Academy is being innovative and is actually walking the walk. Crazy. Um, So I'm, I'm, this is my opinion here. I, right now, our teachers union of our school district, not the teachers, but the union has a tight, tight grip on the policies of our school district. They're largely in bed with every one of the, um, well, not every, but almost all of the trustees of the, of the school board. Um, and so there's a, like a, a quid pro quo relationship, you know, the union helps out the trustees on the board of education and the board members go ahead and help out that union. The, Teachers union is incentivized to keep and protect teachers' jobs. 
promoting online learning is a threat to that. So this is, I've often believed that the reason that Poway Unified is slow to the game is because it's a, they're not incentivized to do this. They're not, they don't think in terms of saving money like a private organization would. And you think they would because they're experiencing tremendous deficits right now. They're scrambling for money. You think they would embrace opportunities to save, but they don't do it. And I, it's because I believe they're trying to protect those jobs for the teachers. And that's why they're slow to come out with an online curriculum where this is something that should have been done years ago. This technology has existed for a very long time. They just didn't make the investments in that technology or the people to put that together. And it's very discouraging. Um, so I, like, I, I think online learning, and we've talked about this, especially at the high school level, um, Instead of having, you know, we have six high schools and you, you could have chemistry teachers and physics teachers scattered about two or three of them to a campus. Imagine just having one really good physics teacher and making that curriculum available online and then also teaching that in a lecture hall format. You could save money by embracing online learning, um, whether it's for lectures or whether it's just to stream previous lectures, whether it is to engage with the teacher or the teacher's aide during off hours. I mean, it's it's a huge opportunity. Fantastic supplemental learning lessons, um, the ability to work cooperatively in groups for those kinds of group-oriented assignments. Huge upside to this. And it's just really a shame that Poway Unified has just been so slow to embrace it. And there have been parents that have complained about this, parents that have been saying, what, what the hell? What are you guys doing? How come you're not getting organized around this? And there are some people in the Poway Unified School District, you know, whether, you know, they're educators. I'm not sure if they're educators or if they're people that are in the upper echelons of management. Basically, he's telling them, hey, if you don't like it, then leave. And I'm thinking. This is such a backwards approach. In my opinion, a school, a school or a school district, these two treat parents and students like customers. They are providing a service to them. These people are paying for that service through their taxes. They need to be served. They, after all, these people claim to be public servants. Um, these kinds of customers is what they are, need to be treated as customers. That's why I'm a big proponent for charter schools, for school choice, so that so that these families, these students can, can be treated with the respect they deserve. And when you're basically telling someone who's being forced to pay for your school district and just simply wants to get a good quality of education back in return for their tax dollars, being told, just go away. You don't like it here. Go somewhere else. That's just sheer arrogance and just very discouraging to hear that. And we saw some of that even in some of the conversations on, on some of these Facebook streams by some of the school officials that were chiming in. Um, just, just a terrible shame. So – the, the whole thing with this coronavirus is as it's unfolded, it's created massive disruption. Schools are struggling. Um, well, maybe some schools aren't like Innovations Academy. Businesses are struggling. People, individuals are struggling. Grocery stores are struggling. Shoppers are struggling. There is massive disruption. This is a great opportunity to take advantage of that. Power Unified should be taking advantage of this. And, and just building out just a kick-ass online educational model. Um, and, and they should be using good leadership, 
not like what President Trump is doing, is going back and attacking the messenger, going back and creating more conflict. The Poway Unified shouldn't be going back and telling customers, essentially, or parents, if you don't like it, leave. What they should be doing is going back to them and working with them and solving their problems and coming up with innovative strategies to make people feel at ease and to meet their needs and to solve their problems because that's what they're there to do. They're public servants and they should serve. Um, So as this coronavirus thing unfolds, we're emotional, prickly uh, creatures. And we commented on that as well. People are reacting differently. Some are reacting defensively. Some are acting in anger. Some are acting out of anxiety or depression. Some are fearful. Fear is just a huge motivating factor for a lot of people. And politicians, by the way, know that and they play that game. We have to think rationally about this. We've got to remain calm. We've got to go through this and see where are there opportunities we can improve things. Um, How can we improve the way we conduct our own business? How can we improve the work we do for our employer? How can we improve by creating our own business in this uh, period of opportunity? How can we improve as a parent, as as a homeowner? What are things we can do to improve? Um, if we are in the school district um, working as a teacher or an administrator or in management, what are opportunities there to improve? Um, we have to think that way. We can't be thinking fearfully. We can't be thinking um, from a protectionist perspective. We have to be thinking outward and looking for opportunities where we can be better. Um, And so I'm hoping that you take that as you go through this process. So um, I invite you to follow us on social media, continue the conversation. You can see us on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, Well, not so much Instagram, but definitely Facebook and Twitter uh, and definitely on YouTube. You can always follow us there on YouTube. And by the way, subscribe if you're out there. Um, And so the last thing I want to do is I want to give a big shout out to Arnold Schwarzenegger. And have you been following what he's been posting online? It's been fantastic. And I know he's kind of got some kind of a partnership, I think, with TikTok, and he's doing public service announcements around the coronavirus. And I just, he's been on online and you see him and he's in his house because he's practicing shelter in place. And he's in the house with his dog and a miniature horse and a donkey. <laughs> and they're all hanging around in his living room with him and he's feeding him and, and playing with them and just having a great time with his animals. And it's just fabulous. So I, I got to quote Arnold here. And, you know, he's urging people to stay at home as the coronavirus outbreak continues to spread by making an amazing video featuring his mini donkey and mini horse. And Schwarzenegger says, the important thing, uh, maybe, should I do it in a Schwarzenegger voice? The important thing, no, I, I'm not even going to try. The important thing is that you stay at home because there's a curfew now. No one is allowed out, especially someone who is like 72 years old. Of course, that's Arnold, not me. Um, after you are 65, you're not allowed out of the house anymore in California. So we stay home and we eat here. No more restaurants. Forget all that. Public gatherings, restaurants, gymnasiums are out the window. We stay home. We don't do anything like that anymore here. We just eat with whiskey and with Lulu. That's his donkey and his horse. And we have a good time. We get entertained. So much more fun. So, I, you know, good for you, Arnold. I mean, you're making the best out of this. I mean, we can, we can debate the policies. I mean, I think, you know, this shelter in place, I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's inconvenient. 
but it makes sense. It makes sense to protect the health of others. And it makes sense that this pandemic is minimized so that we don't have a greater problem on our hands later when the hospital beds are full and there are no ventilators. And imagine if all the hospital beds are full with all these people that have coronavirus and then something else happens to you. Like me, when I fell off my roof putting up my Christmas lights, you know, there's not going to be any place you know, if, you're, if you need to go into the hospital for non-coronavirus needs. It's going to be jam-packed. So we have to stay at home and it stinks. But you can spin a negative into a positive. You can see that chaos is a ladder. Chaos creates opportunity for you to be better at what you do in your career, with your family, and in your life. So with that, I wish you well. This is the John Riley Project, episode 121 on March 20th, 2020. So it's 32020. 32020. That's what it is. Okay, we'll see you later, folks. Have a great day. Bye bye. <laughs>